Two crees in a pod. Two crees in a pod. Natani means. Yeah. Let's go. They pushed us to this point, frustrations of a common man Manifest the destiny, preach and pledge the promised land I'm stuck between taking my journey, live with no honor Like what's the use of my kids, can't taste clean water A child born into a world, revolution's not a choice Fighting to be heard, so we make them hear our voice Remember ancestors, anguish, lightning in our veins Hear it in a language when they are kissing for the rain I am product of people that persevere, persecution Paint me so creator sees me if I go out shooting Experience our pain when our women disappear daily Anxious to be angry, pacifists might hate me Trolls on the internet constantly trying to bait me We move in silence, cover of the night Learning from the wolves in the forest Tracking enemies in the woods Reincarnations of warriors riding for salvation Or are we false prophets when we submit to temptation? Colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said colonization is a hell of a drug We all seem to go crazy when we fall in love I said Welcome to Two Crees in a Pod. I biggest My name is Amber Dion, and I am from the Kihiwan Cree Nation here in Treaty Six Territory. I'm a mother, a social worker, and assistant professor with McEwen University School of Social Work, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host. Welcome, my name is Terry Sungens. I'm from Salt Lake Cree Nation, and I'm the Director of Indigenous Initiatives in Kihiwetsin at McEwen University. We are so honored that you chose to join us today. Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Two Crees in a Pod. Uh, today we are joined by Andre Bear. Uh, we're really excited to have Andre join us. Um, Andre's work is, uh, you know, you can find Andre's work uh, all over the place, uh, but how we were introduced to Andre's work was, how I was introduced to Andre's work is through social media. I started to see a lot of different uh, things that Andre was involved in. And so uh, Andre was appointed in 2016 uh, as an advisor to the Minister of the Crown, Indigenous Relations Canada, and he also co-founded the Indigenous Youth Voices Network. Um, and so Andre, we would like to uh, create some space for you to introduce yourself in whichever way you would like to outside of your bio that people can see on social media. Um, and so Andre, take it away. Yeah, sure. That's a no agumagan ticket and that has come to no alcacio, nichiwaganak, no agumaganak, and an askmon and totawiak. Thank you for listening to me. My name is Andre Bear. I come from uh, both the Little Pine First Nation and the Canoe Lake First Nations. I'm a law student at the University of Saskatchewan. Uh, just finished my first year. I'm in a combined Masters of Business Administration program. Uh, today, I sit on the Indigenous Bar Association Board of Directors, um, representing lawyers and judges uh, that are Indigenous from across the country. I also sit on the Canadian Juries Commission, representing uh, jury duty people uh, in Canada that are involved with jury duty across the country as well. Um, yeah, but most of all, I'm, I'm 25 years old. I Love to take care of my mom and my two nephews mm-hmm. uh, currently in Saskatoon, but I'll be moving to Edmonton next week, actually. Awesome. And you're, and you're coming out to the university out here, Andre? Yeah, eventually I'll be switching over to uh, University of Alberta, but awesome. since classes are all online at the moment, I didn't see the big rush to, to switch. Right. Well, we'd be very lucky to have you out in Edmonton as well. Um, 
So Andre, uh, just considering uh, some of the work that you have done already in, t in 25 years, wow, um, is could you talk to us a little bit or share with our listeners a little bit about uh, some of the work that you've been involved with with our judicial system, um, maybe more specifically around understanding what restorative justice is? Yeah, absolutely. So how it started was um, the very first uh, impact that I had, that uh, justice had in my life was, or, or injustice was um, uh, growing up in Saskatoon in the inner city. Um, we were very poor, myself and my mom. She's an Indian residential school survivor and um, it was really hard on our, on our family. And um, I was reminded at a young age about uh, Neil Stonechild and how Saskatoon Police Service was dropping off young Indian men outside of the city they were freezing to death and that was my my first interaction or uh, understanding of police in in, in in this world and um, following that uh, it wasn't until I was uh, uh, 20 2022 that um, uh, a young man that was uh, shot in a farmyard named Colton Bushi I had grew, grown up with his family in North Battleford with his mom Debbie Baptiste his sister Jay Tatusis. Mm -hmm. And um, that is something that uh, really shocked me. And um, uh, at the time, I was working for the federal government in Ottawa. And um, when, when that had happened and uh, the, the verdict of not guilty was read of Gerald Stanley, I think that that is what really broke me and made me decide that I'm going to be spending the rest of my life working in, in law to try and keep our people out of prison yeah. and to try and convict um, those that that harm our people, our, our youth and our children, and um, trying to do anything and everything that I can in, in this legal system to bring justice to our people. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that would uh, relate to the, the day I had yesterday. Um, yesterday was the first time I ever met Harold Johnson. And if you don't know who Harold Johnson is, he's a very um, profound writer mm -hmm. and um, he was a lawyer, I think, for over 30 years. He has a master's degree from Harvard Law, and he's a Bushman. He's a crazy Bushman. <laughs> he, he lives in a, he lives in a place called Malinosa, and so you drive uh, to Prince Albert, you drive to um, Montreal Lake, and then you cut through Montreal Lake for about an hour on this uh, small grid road, and eventually you get to Malinosa, and it's just a few cabins on a lake, and the only place. The only way to get to his house is by boat. Huh. And um, the reason why I was meeting him was that um, I had a conversation with um, Vice Chief David Pratt with the FSIN. He said that Senator Saul Sanderson wanted to start an Indigenous law school with the First Nations University of Canada, and they wanted me to be a part of it. And I thought, absolutely. Like, I just started law school. Like, I think that's a great idea. And... When Senator Saul Sanderson wants to start an Indigenous institution, it usually happens. And we see that with almost every Indigenous institution that's in Saskatchewan. Mm. And that's true with the First Nations University of Canada, with SIIT, with um, FSIN even. Like all of these institutions were, were built and developed because of that man. And when I heard that he wants to start a law school, I thought, yeah, I'll definitely be a part of that. And I've never heard, uh, I've never met Harold Johnson, but I've heard legends about him that he was just a very powerful intellect for Indigenous peoples in law. And so 
I had messaged him on Facebook and he actually, uh, he messaged back his number like almost immediately. It was crazy. And I was just driving to a Sundance in Kihiwan and uh, I called that number and he said, yeah, he said tomorrow, he's like, you come to uh, Malanosa. He gave me the craziest directions ever. <laughs> and he said, uh, come there and I'll, I'll have a boat waiting there and, and I'm going to take you to my cabin and, wow. and we'll go talk about it then. And I'm like, okay, it sounds crazy, but he's a crowd <laughs> prosecutor. I, I hope I can trust him. <laughs> a bit risky. Yeah, it was. And so, uh, so anyways, I, I go up north. I take my brother with me. I wasn't going to go there alone. <laughs> and, uh, some amazing conversations about about restorative justice and, and just for any listeners that might not know what that means restorative it just it just focuses on that word restore restoring something from being broken mm-hmm. and where that would be focusing on a, a person or an individual that might have um, broken the law and did something that um, might have broken a family they might have broken a community mm-hmm. They might have um, uh, did something that was terribly wrong and um, against, uh, against uh, the collective. And what that restoring part uh, means is that that person would then uh, need to uh, would carry that responsibility to fix whatever that they had broken. Hmm. And and a lot of the times it's them themselves that are broken. It's all of their childhood trauma, mm-hmm. all of their addictions, all of their um, alcoholism, or things that are mm-hmm. extremely overwhelming for them as 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 simple human beings to to handle. Mm-hmm. And so they lash out and, and they make mistakes. And that doesn't make them evil people. I don't believe that there's any people that are born evil in this world. I believe that um, somebody hurt them or something happened to that person to make them feel that way, to make them break that law, to make them harm that person, to make them um, break that community or that family. Mm -hmm. And restorative justice means healing that person, helping them find true and real healing. And we're very fortunate as Indigenous people or as Nehewa because we have that real healing. We have we have even more than that. It's all in our ceremonies. It's all in our spirituality. It's 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 written in our in our in our lands, in our communities. We have stories, creation stories about Wasagi Chuck and how um, we were given these laws and given this way to live. And and to me that's that's restorative justice. That's bringing uh, bringing true healing to those that really need it. Mm-hmm. And um, we even had a conversation about, okay, so what if this person um, had killed someone? What then? Hmm. Um, how would you, would you still keep them in the community? Would you still uh, have them around? The way I thought about it was um, we, we have vision quests as creep people. We're, we're put out to fast for four days or something like that. And um, the way I thought about it was like, maybe you put this person out for a, a fast like that. 
maybe if it's four days, maybe it's something like that, whatever, and and have the spirits deal with them. Maybe maybe he has a message waiting for him on the other side, and and maybe we just keep him there, keep that person there, whoever took that person's life until um, until them they themselves can understand why they did that, hmm. what they need to work on, what they need to fix, and how they need to heal themselves. So our, our ceremonies are extremely powerful. So for myself, uh, my own dad was a convicted felon, right? And um, he, he had taken people's lives in, in his lifetime. Um, and uh, it wasn't until he had turned his life to the, to the Sundance mm-hmm. that um, he was able to rectify those things. Mm-hmm. And um, it was very concerning after he passed away because uh, our elders were telling him he's having a hard time crossing over. And all of his sons knew that it was because he, he took people's lives in this world and that he was going to have a hard time to, 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 to meet our creator. And so it was in our Sundance ceremonies, it was in our our, um, our lodges that we were able to, to rectify those things for him. Mm. We had to make a lot of sacrifices. We had to do a lot of um, suffering for our dad to make it to heaven. Mm. And um, even if... Uh, even if that, 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 that might sound like something that's not real or some kind of fantasy, that's who we are. That's why we have those lodges. That's why we do what we do, because it's real. Yes. And, and, and those are the kinds of conversations we need to be having when, when our people are breaking the law or when our people are, are committing these uh, uh, unforgivable things. And, and another thing I'll talk about is um, there was a, a lodge maker that... Um, she had asked me, she said, um, I want to know your, your opinion on this. I said, yep. And she, she, she was a Sundance chief in her own right, so I, I was listening and, and being as respectful as possible. And she told me, she said, there was a man that wanted to come to our lodge, she said. And I said, oh. She said that um, he was a convicted um, pedophile and that he... Uh, she had the feeling that he was still not well, that he still didn't find healing or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought about that for a long time. And there's children at our ceremonies. There's, there's, there's young people, there's young men and women, and they deserve to feel safe in those spaces. But at the same time, our, in our lodges, we can never turn somebody away. We're not supposed to turn people away. And uh, I, that brought me back to the fasting again, like being alone and being in solitude because maybe that person needs to go by themselves for a bit and figure out why that they, they have those problems or, or where they need to heal in their own lives or in their own childhoods in order to better themselves before you bring them to the community around around children around those that could harm them because our children are innocent they don't they don't um, deserve to be put in any kind of danger like that and I think that's why a long time ago we hear stories about um, people getting uh, uh, people getting kicked out of our communities like banished banishment yeah. was one of the, the things we hear about yeah and um, I don't think banishment meant you're you're gone forever I think that it meant that you you had it to find you had to find some answers you had to find some healing before you came back to our community 
And to my understanding is that when, when that person found those answers and that they came back, that we fully accepted them and that we didn't hang it over their heads of what they did. And that's the same thing when I talked about my dad is that I didn't hang it over his, his, his head. I didn't say, no, you killed people. You're a bad person. You're evil. And um, I still loved him. He was mm-hmm. still my dad and he taught me everything that I knew. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the those are the really tough conversations that we need to start having when when we think about our own legal system. Because if we don't start taking up responsibility over our own people's actions and creating space for our own legal system to flourish, we're going to stay incarcerated and white men are going to keep going free for killing our people. Yes. Because the Canadian legal system means injustice for indigenous people it was created to destroy us and separate us from the land and so we need to really start having and keep having these tough conversations about what our own legal system would look like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sitting here and i probably have about five little notes down of like (laughs) going in all different directions Mm -hmm. of just comments and questions um and thank you for sharing that that story of your father and I looked over at Amber and I I just it was just like I touched my heart because it was such an emotional um story for me and I think that you know we uh, it brought me back to a time when um my father as well as a residential school survivor but wasn't always present Uh, in my childhood uh, due to addictions and I remember you know him going to that lodge uh, as well and I remember you know years after you know having a conversation with him um, and through tears you know he he apologized about not being so present and not always being there um, and we were crying together and I, and I remember telling him I forgave you a long time ago mm-hmm. you know I love you I love you and mm-hmm. there's so much gifts that he has brought to our family and continues to bring to our family with his teachings and his connections to uh, culture and ceremony mm-hmm. so thank you for sharing that that was just such a beautiful story I think, and, um, yeah. and I just want to just, and then listening to Terry speak and your story as well. I mean, we all have these connections of our parents being residential school survivors and my dad as well being a residential school survivor and was in and out of jail, was incarcerated a lot when we were kids uh, for petty, petty crime and, um, and, you know, and, and was in and out because of addictions as well. And Um, And I actually saw my dad on Father's Day and he's living in a long-term care facility um, because he's aged and had a couple of strokes and doesn't, my mom just can't care for him at this time. And so I went to go visit him and we had to visit through glass and uh, I'm yelling into the glass. I have my hands up and I'm yelling, saying, dad, when did you start Sundancing? Because I remember as a kid going to Sundance with my dad. And uh, he sat there and he was thinking about it. He said, oh, my girl, I I danced for nine years. And it was when he um, decided to stop drinking is when he he started sun dancing, when my my little brother came into our lives. And so I was about seven, uh, eight, when my dad sobered up, 
quote unquote, and, uh, and started sun dancing. And so thank you, Andre, because as you were talking about your father, it reminded me of my father and obviously reminded Terry of hers. So thank you for sharing that, Andre. I think that a lot of our listeners can relate to that story. So thank you. Yeah. One, one thing that I'd like to comment on that, um, uh, people, not always totally understand is that Indian residential schools and and the damage that is caused and um, from the perspective of a lawyer and I'm I'm not a lawyer yet but I've I've had um, I've read hundreds of Indian residential school files Mm -hmm. and um, when you read the reports yourself the independent assessment processes um, with 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 a legal mind but being an indigenous person um, your eyes get open to to a, a whole new story, a whole new reality for our people. I always knew that Indian residential schools were bad, that they that they did such a great terrible things, but I never knew the severity of the destruction that took place in those schools, because every single report that I wrote or read was about extremely severe sexual abuse a lot of it was torture and when i i i I had a few breakdowns just reading the reports and 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 filing them and when i talked to my boss at 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 sunshine law she she had told me that um uh that almost every report she's ever done is like the same thing and um, it's not until you read the stories of the Indian residential school survivors that you realize how how destroyed uh, our parents were, how our grandparents, and and when you can see that reality, you can start to see why we live the lives that we do, why our lives are so hard, why we're imprisoned, why we're in foster care. You, your eyes become open to this new world that um, Indian residential schools were um, almost like a a sex trafficking ring or something like that. For some reason, they attracted the the most scariest um, uh, priests and nuns to to come and work with kids because it was all unsupervised. And and that's something that all of these lawyers non-indigenous and indigenous um that they have to live with is 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 reading all those stories and and listening to all those interviews and to me it's 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 only those survivors and the lawyers that know what really happened Hmm. and someday i i wish i hope i would love for those lawyers to to write their stories and to um to to publish something so so canada knows exactly what went wrong Mm-hmm. because there's so much that that we don't talk about and we're still not talking about it today mm-hmm. and and that's just going to carry on that um carry on that uh um that shame of of things like sexual abuse that that is becoming rampant in our communities if, if we don't talk about those things right yeah. yeah and so that's just something i wanted to mm-hmm. mention about indian residential schools and and to end that point off, there's um, four things that I leave my students with or I left my students with when I was a high school teacher. The first is that there was 150,000, um, over 150,000 uh, children that attended. The second was that there was over 6,000 confirmed deaths. deaths. 
The third is that you had uh, you had a better chance at surviving World War II as a foot soldier than you did at surviving as a child in an Indian residential school. And the fourth fact is that the Canadian government destroys the documents and the evidence of um, the brutality and the terrible things that happened in those schools. So we'll never know how many kids passed away. And we, we always hear the horror stories about the mass graves and, and all of that. And um, But uh, what, what, one thing that um, I'll, I'll go back to Harold Johnson and what he told us is that the most powerful thing in this in this world are stories. That's what he said. And the story that you tell yourself is the story that, that is going to become true and that is going to be a reality. He said that the worst story that was ever told was that indigenous people are victims, that mm-hmm. we are that we are weak, that we are drunks, that we are lazy. And um, as much as I want it to be out there and that for people to know what happened in the residential schools maybe 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 we need to start telling a new story about who we are about about the greatness and what we overcame in in a good way mm. and and that's just open and honestly what what I'm reconciling with at the moment mm. that um, maybe we need to, to to start telling a new story about about our people about our ancestors and, and about where we're going and so that our children um, not my generation but the generations coming that they can um, let a lot of that trauma go and 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 become and grow as, as new and stronger and better people mm-hmm. I have I want to I want to take us to a different place right now. And uh, the, so we're Facebook friends (laughs) and uh, you you shared a post uh, on social media um, uh, a while ago in regards to a Sundance um, Mm. where the RCMP uh, came uh, to in Saskatchewan. Um, and it was interesting because I, I, you had shared it um, and I, I, I shared it on my social media post as well um, I didn't make a comment I literally just posted it and I remember a non-indigenous uh, teacher responding and it obviously upset her the post um, it triggered her in some way um, and I, I didn't want to necessarily engage in that conversation with her um, but this was this is a teacher right and and somebody who works with possibly indigenous children um, who was justifying the RCMP and who was making comments that that the RCMP were doing our job that we were you know as I think that holding this ceremony was against the law Um, and so it's it's sometimes difficult you know when we have to these are conversations and things we hear every day Um, but do you want to kind of and and I don't know necessarily the full story or, or what happened but you were there um, do you want to share anything about that? Sure. Um, yeah, that was uh, uh, that Sundance was was specifically uh, a vision from a very powerful medicine person that um, he envisioned that he he needed to have that Sundance that early in the year because something bad was coming, mm. and. Um, 
his uh, helpers had helped him and followed that vision. And I just happened to be one of them. And uh, it was early on um, the day before the lodge that we received a complaint that we were going to be fined a hundred thousand dollars plus a thousand dollars a head. Oh. And that, um, yeah, and this came from uh, health Canada. It was a public health order that was going to be enforced through the first nations Inuit health branch. And um, we were concerned, but not really afraid. We, um, for myself, uh, being a law student, I knew that this this would never stand a Section 35 hmm. challenge to justify infringement. Yeah. And what that means is that we will win in court anyway. And so we, we carry on with the Sundance and um, tensions are pretty high. But it wasn't until the uh, RCMP approached the lodge and the lodge chief had told me um, if they try to come in this lodge, you need to turn on your phone. You need to start recording them. And that scared me because I knew our ceremonies could never, ever be recorded mm-hmm. for no reason at all. Mm-hmm. But I also understood if they were to try and harm one of our people, that it needed to be video evidence. There needed to be proof of that. And so when the RCMP squad cars had pulled up, um, they began asking questions, um, asking people's names, asking us um, how many people were here, is social distancing happening, and that um, when we were going to leave. And that was the most ignorant uh, comment that I that I found was that um, we were literally, this is Beardy's Okamasis land. Right. We're having a Sundance ceremony that we've had for what thousands of years and for that these two white police officers to come us up to us and ask us when are you leaving like when are you breaking this up like it's just like a a powwow or something it was pretty it was ignorant of them and after they asked us that they approached the lodge and um the lodge chief had uh came walking up to them and said don't come closer if you're holding your guns Mm. and they kept walking towards him and he yelled at them again don't come closer if you're holding your guns Mm. and um, we eventually all had to yell at these cops like hey 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 you can't go over there like stay away from that lodge and eventually they stop and they go back to the car and they're sitting there for a bit and they eventually leave and um, by at this point, the Sundance was already interrupted. Mm-hmm. We stopped. We were, it was interfered with. Yeah. And to me, that was already a, <clears throat> a constitutional violation. That's still something that I believe needs to be challenged. Mm-hmm. And because we have the rights, our, our treaty inherent right to, to live on our own lands and to practice our own ceremonies without being interrupted or interfered with by RCMP officers. And so it was a very intense moment from what I'm told that was even more intense after I had left and the police went back and that um, the lodge chief had um, ended up getting into uh, like an argument with these police officers and from what I was told, like these cops were actually swearing at this lodge chief and that it actually like got really heated 
and that's when people really started to leave and um so yeah but eventually uh no one was arrested thank- thankfully mm-hmm. um and the um threatened the the threat for for the fine I, it it kind of faded away i think after the prime minister and minister miller had made those comments that uh we had full jurisdiction over our our, our ceremonies on on our reserves right and um to me that that we didn't need that that affirmation that what we already knew and what we already um have through 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 our own treaty inherent rights but it was it was nice that uh i guess the prime minister and minister miller were reminding themselves of that mm-hmm. that um of our rights <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and and i think that uh um what i heard um even just in in that one story is around it's so important for uh us to understand and recognize fully what our rights are and I hear this sometimes even in, uh, you know, because we're both social workers and we've worked in, in different areas, um, you know, sometimes we, as social workers, uh, are fearful of the systems in which we work in and uh, that we don't often know that we can even ask the questions that we want to ask that will disrupt uh, the colonial uh, social work system that exists and the system that removes children from homes for uh, lots of different reasons. But uh, I think it's so important for us to understand what our rights are. Um, and so that's that that was clear in that story. Um, so Andre, we're so enjoying this conversation and you've said so many incredible things that we that both Terry and I are resonating with us and, and I know will also resonate with our listeners. Um, is there anything that you would like to leave people with? Uh, you know, is there anything that uh, a message that you really want to ensure that our listeners uh, are left with? Um, nothing immediately off the top of my head, honestly, but um, yeah, I'll, I will leave you with something. So uh, talking to uh, Harold Johnson again, and um, talking about uh, sort of justice, talking about um, what we can do to rebuild our nations. Um, it reminded me of um, the late Gordon Oaks, and um, uh, something that he's he's been known to say a lot. He would say that um, you have one horse that is your education. You have another horse that is your ceremony it's your spirituality and he said um that makes a really good team of horses and that it'll take you a long way and i think about somebody like harold johnson and getting a master's from harvard law but at the same time like going back to live in the bush and just um live his own life very happily and and, and ceremonially and um I, I wish I wish more of our people could um, understand and, and, and feel that kind of freedom of the the gifts and the the things that you can acquire in, in, in carrying yourself in both education and both in law. And people, a lot of our people believe that like um, universities are evil or that they they change 
you or take your indigenous identity away or that it's colonizing you and stuff like that. But in a, in a lot of ways, that, that might be true. But it's also true that education is, is an extremely powerful tool for our people to, to better ourselves and adapt and, and transform our lives and, and um, use that with our, our ceremonies and our, our, our traditional ways of living to, um, to, to find peace and harmony as, as a people once again, because we can never go back um, to the way things were um, but we can get pretty damn close to it. And I think our, our education systems are, are key and our, our ceremonies are, are the other key um, into carrying us on to um, being the best people we can be and rebuilding our nationhood. Mm. Mm. I, I, I like that. That's a perfect way to, to end that. To end. Yes. Thank you, Andre. We really appreciated uh, you taking the time to join us today. Um, and thank you to our listeners for listening. Two Crees in a Pod.